It's that time of the week again. That's right. It's flat out RC time and it's the podcast where we talk all things radio control flight. We're talking radio control planes, helis and drones. My name's Andrew Sill coming to you from the land down under in Melbourne, Australia. Big shout out to everybody that's listening to this podcast overseas. We cover a lot of Australian content and we do interview people from overseas now and again. Time differences is always a bit of a challenge, so trying to squeeze them in is sometimes difficult. But we do talk to people from overseas as well. But we have a guest from Australia again. Uh, this week we are looking at gliding a fair bit. Uh, Steve Wenban's joining me, uh, the the guy that founded and runs the uh, Manila Slope Fest. So we're going to find out more about that shortly. But before we do, let's take a look at what's been on my mind. Well, what has been on my mind? Well, what has been on my mind is the upcoming Shepherd and Scale Mammoth Fly-In, the 39th Mammoth Scale Fly-In. It is held on the 17th to the 18th of September 2022 at the Valley Radio Flyers Field uh, in Karamomas, which is right near Shepparton. So it's known as the Shepparton Club, but the field's actually in a a, a little area called Karamomas, which, yeah, as I said, it's like 10 minutes from Shepparton. Uh, If you've if you've been involved in aeromodelling for a while, you probably know of this event, so I don't really need to introduce it to many of you. But for those who don't know, it's Australia's largest mammoth-scale flying event. It's been running for, what, 39 years now. Actually, it's going to be a big year next year. It hasn't been on for a couple of years because of uh, damn COVID, but uh, it's going to be back 17th, 18th of September. Um, registrations are open now. If you go to the Valley Radio Flyers website, so it's valleyradioflyers.com.au. That's flyers, F-L-Y-E-R-S.com.au. You'll see the entry forms, I think, are, are there. Uh, this year, they've got some really good sponsorship from um, Model Flight and Ozstar Models. So uh, you have to pay per model, I think it is, or pilot pre-entry. No, pilot pre-entry is $45. On the day, it's $50. Uh, scale planes only. Um, so don't bring your, um, your ugly sticks. Uh, they will be rejected. I have seen them that will ask you not to fly if it's not a scale model. And that's just to maintain the integrity of the event, which I think is very, very important to do. So if you take a sport jet there, that's not based on a real model, uh, take it home. If it's a Viper jet scale model, it's okay. If it's an F-16, okay. But, you know, bring your cubs and uh, you'll see on the, the fly, if you go on the uh, Facebook, you'll see the big fly with the uh, big Urkoop, Tim DeHaan's Urkoop that won the model of the meat at the last uh, scale mammoth flying. Um, so scale planes only, monoplanes are 80 inch minimum, biplanes 66 inch minimum. So 80 inch monoplanes is minimum and 66 inch for the biplane. So... A lot of your 30cc size aerobatic planes probably won't fit. So you're looking at 50cc size up there. Scale planes, your cubs and things like that probably get over it because their wingspan's pretty big. You can bring gliders if you like, scale gliders. Remember, it's only scale planes. Uh, all pilot pre-entries will go into a draw to win a Hangar 9 30cc stick. And all pilots, so if you pre-enter, you'll win the chance to win a Hangar 9 30cc stick. And all pilots will be in the draw to win a UMS radial engine with additional tickets available at $10 each. So, um, and no matter when you join, you go in the running to win this beautiful UMS radial engine thanks to Ozstar Models. So big thank you to them. Uh, flying from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. most days. 
um, both days. Public entry is five dollars, so it is a display day event. So uh, under sixteen are free. Food and drinks are available there, and um, there'll be some raffle prizes as well. You can camp at the fields. It's twenty dollars for the weekend, um, and a lot of people do. So you've got to get in early, uh, but it's always a great event. So I just want to remind you, the 39th Mammoth Scale Flying at the Shepparton Club, the Valley Radio Flyers Club, 17th to the 18th of September. Block it in. If you want to know more about the event, go to valleyradioflyers.com.au. That is a place to go to, valleyradioflyers.com.au, and you'll find the entry form. Remember, scale planes only. Now, Got that out of the way. And by the way, they don't tell me to promote these events. I just do it because I know it's a good event. And um, I've helped the club out a little bit uh, with a few little things that I do for them. But uh, it's something I'm, I'm looking forward to going to. I really am. That's coming up. So I went for a flight today. I've been talking about how I haven't been getting out much flying. And uh, I was online on the simulator um, uh, last night as I record this. And I was talking to some of my uh, the young buddies, some of the kids down at the club, or some of them are not really kids anymore, they're 18, and we're having a chat, and they said, why don't you come down? And I said, oh, I don't know. But anyway, about midday, I decided it's beautiful weather for flying. It's dead calm, and there's no rain, and looking good. So I packed my Extreme Flight 48-inch Extra and Profile Foamy, take the Profile Foamy for a bit of a... Uh, we'll call it WD-40, getting rid of the, the rust on the uh, the fingers. Um, so I took that down and my 48-inch extra because it fits in my car. I didn't want to take my trailer and take all the planes. and well, I was in a bit of a rush, so I thought I'll just take something that's easy. And that's the advantage of electric models, people, is just grab it, plug it in, and off you go. Anyway, so um, I had to charge my packs. I always find that oh, some of my lipos are getting a bit old and it's, they just don't hold balance properly and... You know, they've lost a bit of punch, some of them. So I'm trying to sort of denote which ones are bad and I'll throw them out. And So I headed on down to the fields down at um, my local club and uh, some of the boys were there, which was good to see. Perfect weather conditions. Probably did about six or seven flights, I reckon, between a couple of different planes. Really enjoyed this 48-inch 48 48 extra that I've got, the Extreme Flight Extras. It's not a new model. I've had it for, I reckon, 10 years now. It's seriously been 10 years. I got it for a bargain secondhand, and this thing is rock solid. It just keeps on going. It looks looks as new as the day that I got it, um, and it just flies a lot bigger than its size. And especially on a calm day, it, it's really good. I was I was flying iMac routines, and uh, so that's one of the things I've been thinking about is, you know, how do we, you know, if you haven't been flying for a while, how do you get back up to speed? And it's all there. It's just a matter of timing. Anyway, I f- like to fly, you know, the iMac basic routine and um, because that gives me something to work towards and it really does help. And so by the end of the day, I was pretty happy. I thought I was pretty back, I'm pretty much back um, to where I'd left off. So always good to get out. And you know what? I also wanted to get out there and just clear my head. Now, I've had a busy week with work, you know, a bit anxious about certain things. I don't know. Actually, I don't know why I was anxious. There's nothing, no reason, but I think I had a fair bit of work on and I always find going to the flying field really relaxes my mind and sort of resets everything. Um, that's just me, but just resets everything. So big thank you to all the people that are out there and uh, help me have a good session because I don't like doing it alone. Much better with other people. So if you need to clear your head, get out to the flying field. Time 
time for my favourite part of the podcast, and that is when we have a guest. And this week's guest is Steve Wenban, and Steve comes from up in New South Wales, uh, and I got put onto him by Alexis Scott. Um, and thank you, Alexis. I know you're listening, and thank you very much. I appreciate it. If you've got any others that you want me to interview, please send them through because always looking for guests. Uh, anyway, Steve. Steve's claim to fame really is that he is the founder of the uh, Manila Slope Fest, and Manila is a there's a it's, it's a very renowned uh, hang gliding, paragliding, and now slope soaring site at Mount Bora in New South Wales, which apparently is sort of near New South Wales. Steve will tell us all about it. But um, this event is amazing. It's not like a weekend. It goes for, well, wait, Steve was going to tell you how long it goes for. But, you know, you can get up to 200 people turning up. And um, it sounds like a phenomenal, like, like get online and have a look at Manila, uh, Mount Bora, B-O-R-A-H, I think it is from memory, Mount Bora, I think it is. Um, and go and have a look and you'll see, photos of the slope and it is phenomenal. I think it's one of the best slope soaring sites, inland slope soaring sites uh, in Australia. So we have a chat about with Steve about the event, about his aero modeling history, which is quite intriguing. So over my chat with the one and only Steve Wenban. Well, this week we are going to talk gliding and slope soaring. And the man to talk to is Steve Wenban, all the way from Lake Macquarie. Steve, thanks for joining me. Not a problem, Andrew. Glad to be here. Well, we have a lot to talk about. I've, I've just met you, Steve, so we're all going on a journey together to learn more about you as a person and your aero modelling and that kind of thing. But uh, Alexis Scott put me on to you, and he said you're the man to talk to about the Manila Slope Fest. Is that correct? Oh, that would be correct, yes. That's definitely correct. Good. Well, we're going to talk a bit about it later, but before we do, tell me a bit about how you got started in this world of aero modelling. Well, it's quite a long time ago for me now, uh, around about 1967. Um, I was just a 10-year-old kid and really into slot car racing at that time at uh, a slot car track at Chester Hill in New South Wales where I grew up. And um, they decided at that point in time, which I'd always been interested in, in aeroplanes, to uh, start a model aircraft club, which became the Hill Circuit Model Aircraft Club. And a gentleman that had just returned from Vietnam at the time came and gave a rather glorious speech regarding flying control line aircraft and free flight and rubber powered aircraft. His name was Lloyd Dipple. And he became a very, very close friend and mentor to me. Um, and it created a monster was really what he did. Uh, he's to blame. <laughs> he, he's definitely to blame. The rest, God rest his soul. He's since passed away quite a while back now as uh, a number of my other mentors as um, Gus Greening and a few other uh, gentlemen. But the um, Hill Circuit Model Aero Club turned into the United Model Aircraft Club uh, in New South Wales, which uh, I had the, the, um, the honour of being a secretary for, and then the Scale Model Aircraft Society, which I 
happened to be the secretary of for quite a few years. Before entering into the world of slope soaring. And uh, that's where it all began, really. Um, by the 1970, I was all into slope soaring as well as scale um, power flying. Okay. So you're doing a bit of both. So let's let's talk about some of those sort of first forays into, into radio control fly because I'm always interested about, you know, that learning phase. You know, what was your first model? First um, actual... Um, radio model was a Keelcraft Outlaw uh, with a, a, a OS-15 in the nose, which is virtually an uncontrolled free or a semi-controlled free flight model using a OS Pixie single channel button pressing machine. Oh, was see. One, button, one button press for left, two for right, and three would kill the motor. So as soon as you let go of the model, it was a sort of death-defying feat of knowing what was the last button you pressed. Oh, I, I just can't imagine what it would be like to fly something like that. I would be I'd be crashing models every week. Uh, well, they were virtually they were free-flight models, so it just you you virtually let go of the model and, and sent it on its trajectory and then pressed it three times and hoped the motor stopped. Yeah. And so, but, so that means in building those models, you'd have to be pretty precise to make sure that they would they were balanced well. Yeah, well, um, the Curlcraft bits at that time were, were um, quite well made and the quality was quite high. It wasn't your typical, you know, crushed um, sort of uh, templates that they use, you know, as the crush kits. It was quite well um, instructed on how to uh, assemble the model and how to trim it and, yeah, and it came from a lot of, like, I flew a lot of rubber-powered stuff as well as a kid, in, including my first tow-line glider, which is a story in itself, which is was 101 inches. It was a huge model oh, for me then. Yeah, that would have been big, yeah. It was called an inchworm, and um, it was a sort of weird thing because the fin was uh, on the underside, and it took me months and months to build this aeroplane. And the first time I took it out and sort of give it a hand launch chuck, it, it glided right across this football field. And I thought, fantastic, this is great. So there was a, a mate of mine and myself, we got the tail line out and towed it up. The DT fuse went out. It uh, hooked the thermal and I never saw it again. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> yeah, that was the end of that. Gee, first flight. Yeah, first flight. That's amazing. Uh, like to just watch it go up and up and up. Yeah, it just disappeared. There's a dot in the sky, gone. Gee, how long did you? How long did you? Did you stay to watch it? Uh, until I couldn't see it anymore. <laughs> That's a classic. And, uh, yeah, it just disappeared. I had uh, a few friends like that. There was another gentleman that flew free flight, and he um, brought his brand new. SE5A, yeah, perfect, perfect scale model. Brought it out to the field, started it up. It just finished it, perfect. Launch was glorious watching this thing fly. And, of course, it just kept going and going and going, and they jumped in the car and followed it down the road, but I, he never ever got that back either, and that was the first flight. 
See, it's so much easier nowadays, isn't it? Oh, definitely. <laughs> At least you can get get them back where you started. Yeah. Now, tell me about that. what was the first proportional radio you got? My first, well, before my first prop- uh, proportional set was a, a um, galloping ghost. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah which um, looked like your, your aircraft was having seizures as it was flying around the sky. <laughs> but um, after that, my first actual proportional radio was a four-channel Digiace. And that was, I used only three channels at that point in time. I didn't know what ailerons were at that stage. Um, it was rudder elevator and rudder elevator throttle, of course. And that was in a Mark I Hustler from Aeroflight. Oh, yeah, yeah. Classic model, that. Yeah, and there was a gentleman that sort of intrigued me with his four-channel set, and he had an Aeroflight Stormer which was absolutely a brilliant model. I remember um, at our flying field at Brinjoli at the time, he um, took the undercarriage off it and had a tow hook under it, and I dragged it up running away <laughs> on a tow line because I was young and fit at that point in time, and uh, he thermaled it. So it was just an amazing aeroplane for, you know, for what it was back then. Most enjoyable. I'm still amazed how you lost that model because... I have enough trouble trying to hook into a thermal with my radio control gliders, let alone a, a toe-launched uh, toe-line kind of glider. So it's that's amazing. You just got luck. You just got lucky or unlucky. Really. Well, unlucky, but um, yeah, as they say, the the aeroplane will fly. It's just we interrupt them. <laughs> that's true. That is true. Okay, so let's keep on moving then. So did you did you sort of get the hang of radio control flight? Pretty okay. Oh yes, yeah, definitely. Um, I moved on. Um, to to uh, scale flying quite uh, early in the piece, and uh, ended up on the Australian team for the World Championships in Gorizia in Italy. What did you? Uh, yeah, I built a um, Avro Anson. Okay. Um, what year was that? Nineteen eighty-eight. Oh yeah. And uh, yeah, well. That was that was quite a complex model at that point in time, and uh, I did help work on the the uh, restoration of the actual Avro Anson, which is sitting up at Tamworth in a glass case at the moment. Um, it was the first passenger carrier for East West Airlines at the time, VHASM. So uh, yeah, that that ended up like my. Modeling career has put me into the aviation industry. I worked for Walker de Havilland and Boeing. So the modeling put me there. Uh, I was, as a kid, wandering around Bankstown Airport watching planes take off and drilling over certain aircraft sitting in the, on the tarmac, including chipmunks and things like that. It was just brilliant. Yeah. Now, interesting. A question just came to mind because we've just seen the Scarborough World Champs and the the Aussie team did well. David Law, well deserved second place. Melissa Law, I think in twelve. Greg Lett was there, and um, uh, a massive effort for them. Whatever happened to that model that you took to the World Champs? It crashed, <laughs> like they all do. <laughs> they all do. Yeah. No, no, no. It um, it was at uh, a flying field near Appen. 
where um, the the Avro Anson didn't like to fly on one engine. You could land them straight ahead, or you had about a four kilometre turning circle, oh, and the model exactly the same. And I lost an engine, and it just yeah, it spiralled in. Oh no! You remember that day, no doubt. Oh yeah, I remember going and picking the pieces up. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so that means you're pretty committed to to scale modelling then. So you must enjoy building. Oh right? yeah, well, definitely. I, I I'm a scratch builder. Um, I very rarely, well, if it gets given to me, I may build it. Um, but I prefer to build off three views and draw my own plans and scratch build from, from the ground up. And so, okay, so you, you after going to the World Champs, did you continue with that scale competition or not? I did for a, a short period of time until, as I said, my mentor, um, Lloyd Dipple, he passed away from cancer. So it sort of, it lost a lot of shine for me and I sort of to concentrate on um, gliding and slope soaring and I... Myself and a fellow enthusiast from the same club, um, we created a an association called the New South Wales Slope Soaring Association at Oxford in um, New South Wales on the south coast, um, north of Wollongong, uh, and north of Bald Hill where the paragliders and hang gliders fly. Uh, we had quite a large um, following there every weekend. We'd have you know twenty or thirty guys flying slope there, flying combat, flying everything you could think of, because it was just a perfect slope. It still is to this day, actually. But uh, I've long since moved on from there, being up in Lake Macquarie now. Are they still flying at that site? Yes, they still fly at that site. Yeah, that sounds good. Okay, so what? what, what so your activity in gliding was that going sort of in parallel to your scale activities initially it was yes but um as i said after uh, lloyd had passed away um sort of tended to drift more away from the power flying because i didn't have that driving force beside me or behind me whatever you like mm. and uh, started to concentrate more on a relaxed um flying than competition circuits. Yeah, I can I can definitely understand that because you know to get to world champion level, level and to the effort that you need to put into and the focus, you know, sometimes I long for those days we just pull the glider out. It's easier. It's, yeah, definitely. Well, definitely. What were some of the models that you were flying back then? Oh well, I flew a Chipmunk, uh, which was F4C, of course. Uh, a super chipmunk, which is also a 4C. Oh, I love super chipmunks. Um, Everybody knows I love super chipmunks. That's my, my <laughs> all-time greatest. Yeah. Well, there, was a, there was a few other aircraft in between. Now, tell me, the super chipmunk, right, what what plan, what, what, what how did you, did you build that scratch or from a kit? No, that was a, that was the SIG super chipmunk. Okay. And uh, I ha- actually had... Um, the current world champion, scale world champion, crash it. Great. <laughs> that was Dave Dave Marston, a very good friend of mine. Yeah. He won the world championships with uh, a De Havilland Drover. Okay. That was quite a while ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, and your slope models? My slope models uh, are 
many and varied. Um, once again, mostly into scale, uh, what we call power scale soaring, which is a representative of power aircraft, either um, that had flown, had reached prototype stage, that actually um, I designed to be gliders. It's quite quite a huge um, following in Europe. Yeah. and in the US but um, yeah I've built quite a few like a bear cat um, well a, a Hudson bomber uh, a Fuga 90 jet um, a Fiat G, G55 do you, do you have to be sort of mindful that it's going to be used for slope soaring like are you keeping an eye on the weight and Making any modifications with slope or not? Yeah, not particularly. Weight is weight tends to be your friend uh, when it comes to slope soaring because you haven't got an engine to drag you through the sky. So you need you need that little bit of effort and a good airfoil. You can't use the fat foils we use for normal power RC. You've got to start researching the the uh, foils that you use on a on a glider. I. Personally, myself, use either RG14 or uh, MH32 on most of my PSS models. Yeah, and that seems to work for you? Oh, they're a brilliant file for that sort of aeroplane. Yeah. Okay, so what does the hangar look like now? Well, I've just just finished cycling batteries and uh, doing my airworthiness checks for Manila Slope Fest and uh, I've got 17 aircraft ready to go. 17? Yeah. I've still got a few to go through, but uh, I'm not really concerned if I don't get them up and running, but the 17 that I've got um, will more than do the job for me this year. Yeah, that's, pl- <laughs> that's plenty of models right there. And that is a mixture of different um, types of slope sawers? Yeah, yes. It's, uh, I've got thermal... Uh, duration stuff. I have um, pure slope, like uh, DS material, dynamic soaring aircraft. Um, I have, uh, what else have I got? I'm, I'm ambiguous on PSSS ships, of course. Uh, by the way, they're all quite large. They're all run for scale over like 100 110, 120 inch span. Um, the Bearcat itself that I no longer have, that was uh, 15 kilos. Okay. And, of course, you had somebody help you launch it. I had three guys help me launch that. <laughs> what, what kind of wind do you need to, to get one of those flying okay? Well, where the Manila Slope Fest is, I only need, you only need probably about 10 knots of breeze up there. Oh, really? Um, because you're 900 the 900 metres in the air for above the ground level yeah, okay. um, from on the launch site. So it's the the lift is generated by the mountain itself, even when there's no wind. We look forward to what we call the, the glass-off period in the late afternoon because you can't feel the wind at all, yeah. but the, the, the air is just silky smooth and very, very buoyant. Okay, so let's yeah. so let's let's give sort of an understanding about the Manila Slope. Not the slope fest. We'll start with the slope, and then we'll look at the fest. Um, it's an iconic place for 
all sorts of people to go and fly off the slope, including hang gliders and paragliders and, uh, of course, models. Uh, where is where is it? Well, it's about 40 minutes um, outside going west um, from Tamworth. Uh, it's called Mount Bora. And a friend of mine that runs the Manila Paragliding Centre up there, uh, Godfrey Wenis, he's our... Uh, sponsor, so to speak. He hands the mountain over to me every September um, purely for, for the gliders because we have no paragliders or hang gliders during that period of time because it's usually too windy for them anyway, but it's perfect for us. Yeah, okay. So so the Manila Slope, though, from what I've seen, it's like you were saying, it's an amazing sort of perfect sloping conditions where – um, a big rise, but it seems like is it a smooth sort? It's not a cliff, is it? It's more of a a big, big hill. Yeah, it's um, quite a a steep slope. Um, there's a lot of forest below us, but uh, you could pretty much throw a brick off there and it would land behind you. Yeah, <laughs> the lift is quite intense. I mean, um. There was the world championship there in 2007 for paragliders where um, a young Chinese lady went to 33,000 feet um, because she got sucked up in a, in a storm. I saw the uh, the documentary or the story on that. Yeah. That was amazing. Yeah. She survived. Yeah, definitely amazing she survived. And it was only because she passed out um, and she came got back down to around 10,000 feet and the canopy, she was in a spin, the canopy um, that had frozen up, uh, defrosted, so to speak, and she came around and uh, she was able to get control of the, the uh, parachute and land. And I, I know Godfrey told me they had trouble telling Tamworth Base Hospital in the middle of summer they were bringing someone in with frostbite. Yeah, yeah. Then that but that shows you how much lift you can get at that 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 area. Oh yeah, it's amazing. Okay, so let's talk about the 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 Manila Slope Fest because that's sort of a you know the the signature slope soaring event in Australia. Really, when did it when did it start? In two thousand and eight, I started toying around with the idea of of putting something together because there was another slope event which I still attend uh, at Camperdown in Victoria. Yes. Um, and I, I always thought to myself, like, you know, it's great. Camperdown's great. We, you know, we get a great crowd down there, but there wasn't anywhere else that sort of put on that type of event. And um, I found um, Mount Bora through accident <laughs> um, and got to um, conversing with Godfrey who became very supportive of what we do. And in 2009, the first Manila Slope Fest um, was organised and run by myself and has been ever since. Because you're the man to blame then. Yes, I'm definitely the man to blame. And uh, so uh, how many people roughly, you know, on average would turn up to that event? Uh, the first event, we probably only had about 40 or 50 people. Only? Um, That's it, pretty good yeah. turnout. <laughs> Uh, in the ensuing years, um, 
like up till 2019 when we had that little visit from a virus, um, I was getting over the 10 days of the event, we were getting up to 100, 150 people. And because this year's event is the first year back after a two-year hiatus, we're probably looking at around 200 people. Gee, that's massive. That's, that's, but that is, that's a big it's event. going to be a 17, 17 day event. 17 days. So, so how does that work? Well, um, the first day is on the 2nd of September and the last day is on the 18th of September. <laughs> that's how it works. And so it's basically slopes open, come when you want. Yeah, we, yeah exactly that. Um, it's not just the slope, it's turned into what started as the Manila Slope Fest has turned into a. a um, Air modeling jamboree, if you like, because we do have a flat field at the base base of the mountain, which is a full size airstrip, and um, we have all sorts of events um, from DLG, uh, winch launching, power flying, you name it. If it flies, bring it. If it doesn't fly, bring it. We'll make it fly. So, of course, there'd be lots of different kinds of models there on the slope. Yeah. Um, Hundreds of different models, actually. Yeah. And and how do you organise the flying with so many people there? Like, do you have limits of how many people in the air or how's it all coordinated? Well, it's usually um, people are very tolerant of each other on the slope, um, I find. Most people are very relaxed. Um, if there's a lot of foam in the air, the composites stay on the ground. Um, and the the, the foam guys will land and the composite guys will go up, including myself. Um, usually when the, the PSS stuff goes up, everyone's down on the ground watching us fly the big ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I can see why. So it's sort of self-controlling. There's, It's very, very um, laid back and easy. There's no entry fees or anything like that? No, no there's no entry fees at all. And where, where does everybody stay? Are they camping or...? Well, yeah, we've got camping on site, plus there's cabins, which are usually booked out 12 months in advance. Um, I mean, it's basic accommodation, of course. Uh, it's uh, like a, a bed in a room, and that's about it. Uh, shared kitchens. Uh, there is shower and toilet facilities. Now, please tell me there's going to be some Southern Sail Plains ricochets there. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a big well, fan of them. Uh, there's a couple of guys from South Australia that um, that come up every year, and uh, I actually sold the last kit that I had, which was a Vantage, um, to Andrew um, down there in South Australia. He loves um, the Southern Sailplanes stuff, and he comes up quite often with a Rico. Yeah, but. It's uh, there's not a lot of them around. Let's say that. Yeah, that's true. They get a bit older. What, what are people tending towards to, uh, towards um, nowadays with slope soaring at, at the Manila? You know, slope fest is there a, a particular style of model that's popular? Uh, not particularly. It's a, the 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 variety is quite vast. There's a lot of composite stuff that comes up, like uh, a lot of local stuff. Um, from like Kev, Kevin up in um, Queensland, who uh, who 
he uh, manufactures a lot of composite aircraft, mainly for dynamic soaring. Um, there's another gentleman up in northern Queensland who creates what's called a rock breaker, which is another composite aeroplane. But there's a lot of foam as well. Like there's still a lot of um, chevron wings that fly, mainly from uh, bees and things like that from uh, Hong Kong. Uh, Ming from Windrider, that is. He, he often supplies uh, some kits for donation because we do run a charity event. Um, we have a raffle that runs every time. And we have a dinner on the first Saturday night of the event, uh, which we add extra dollars to. That The whole thing is created around giving money. Used to be for the Cancer Council, <clears throat> but the last time we, we donated was on the 29th, 2019th event, um, which we donated $4,000 to uh, the Lions Club in Manila because of the drought and to help the local community. That's awesome. That's, that's, a, that's a good, decent amount of money there. Yeah, yeah. So it, it does, because we get quite a few people and they're all interested in, they all sort of put their hand in the pocket for the, the raffles and things like that, which is quite substantial. Um, you could easily see four to $5,000 worth of donated prizes for the raffles. Why do you think it's um, been so successful? Why it's been successful is because it's a relaxed atmosphere. There's no pressure on anyone in a competi uh, competition vein. Yeah, no one's there to impress anybody else. You're there to get together with like-minded people and just have a relaxing good time. That's had how I was brought into the era modelling with Growing up, um, you'd go to an event and it'd be just like a fun fly event. It'd just be relaxed and everyone would talk. And that's sharing ideas and getting young people involved. That was it. Oh, that's, fun is a good recipe for success, isn't it? Oh, definitely. Um, we, we, get, um, we had news coverage quite often out there with the, the local television station. Plus, we get um, the local schools come out and I've given talks on on uh, actual gliding and things like that out there. Uh, we do get visits from full-size aircraft. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, one year we had the guys from Hunter Valley uh, Flying School come out with their uh, Tiger Moth and do joy flights for us out at the, the flat field. So it's all good fun. Gee, so, yeah, so it's just not off the slope. And Flying time. When you're flying on a slope, you could go for hours. Do you put time limits on how long people can stay up, or is just go as long as you like? No, they, they can stay as long as their battery's charged. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that is true. What, what's the longest flight you have done on the slope? Probably about five hours. Five hours. No doubt you had someone else there having a chat with them whilst you were flying up and down. Yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> you got to keep yourself sane because you you got the wind in your face and. Um, you start to uh, tear up pretty much because the 
your your eyes tend to dry out and then you start wearing goggles to protect yourself and that sort of thing. I I say this type of story is one of the most social forms of aero modelling. Would you agree with that? Oh, definitely. Most definitely. I mean, um, like I said, with with the Manila Slate Fest, it's got an international following as well. So we have guys coming out from the US. We've had guys from South Africa, England, New Zealand. Um, pretty much an international contingent every year. And how how do you, how do they find out about it? Uh, we have a we have a, um, a a thread on RC groups, um, which is the main source of our advertising for the event. Simply because it costs us nothing. It's a it's a free free um, web forum and. It's an excellent web forum, by the way. It covers everything. If you want to know anything about error modeling, it's on RC Groups. Well, I've had uh, Jim T. Graham on the podcast. I've interviewed him. Uh, the guy runs yeah. it. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, last year, I think he was on. Um, he was a character. Um, okay, so do you get help to organize this event? Because I know that you're the main man, but have you got a team of helpers? I have. In the past, had a couple of people throw bits and pieces in. Um, I have a, a gentleman that, that that sort of helps. Well, he runs the raffles for me now, which is uh, Glenn. He owns um, uh, what's the name of the? Can't think of the name of it. Off the edge sailplanes, um, and he does most of the the raffles for me. Um, but most of the guys sort of throw in. Uh, if if they know somebody that's going to donate something, they'll let me know and we just advertise it on the f- first page of the thread. But uh, it, it, including Alexis, who's um, just told me that uh, the company he's working for is going to donate a couple of kits, which is good. Okay, so um, give us the dates for this year's event. This year's event is from the 2nd of September till the 18th of September. So it's as simple as packing the car full of your models, getting down to Mount Bora to, uh, is it the town of Manila? What's it called? Yeah, well, yeah, the township is Manila. Manila is about uh, 25 to 30 minutes away from the base camp. Um, so you head out away from Manila to Mount Bora on Wimborne Road and uh, throw up your tent, your caravan or whatever and settle in for 17 days. Yeah. So you're going to be there for the whole thing? Yeah, I certainly am. Oh, gee. And you're going to try to fly every day? I will do my best. <laughs> so, the, so, and have you done that for since two thousand? Was it eight or nine? Two thousand and nine. First, first visit was two thousand and eight when we sort of set things up. Yeah. And two thousand and nine was the actual first organised event. Gee, that's a that's a great effort by you. That's awesome, Steve. We we need more people like you setting up these these great events, and it's and. Uh, it must be a good event if you get enough to 200 people there. That is just a massive model flying event in Australia. When you think about it, it's probably one of the biggest, really. And, uh, you know what? It's probably the um, 
it's probably the the biggest well, from a time perspective. There's no other event that goes for that long. No, no. Well, normally it's only like uh, ten days, but um, because we haven't been up there for two years, we went. Well, let's let's go for break, and we'll we'll have a seventeen day event and spread it out so everyone can enjoy it. Yeah, it's good that you've got the support from the um the other people there that use the site as well, so that you're free to use it. So that's um. That's absolutely awesome. So, look, oh, yeah, congratulations. Well, well God, done. That's just unbelievable, really, when you think about the yeah. numbers and the time. Yeah, God, Godfrey is, uh, has been really, really supportive of what we do. Uh, and he, he enjoys it. He enjoys um, the group of people that we have there. Um, he just becomes part of the crew, actually, when we get yeah. up there. Yeah, no doubt he would be. You know, anybody that provides that little support must be really really keen to see the event event sort of take off. Now, yeah. you're a builder. You like building models, no doubt. Have you got yes. anything on the on the bench that you're working on? Uh, I just finished a rotor, which is a twisty wing. Um, I've got a, a P51B Mustang, the B model, not the D model, the B model uh, that I'm working on. I, uh, I just finished restoring a... Uh, 101-inch PBY5A Catalina for a museum. And I also work on the restoration of a full-size PBY5A Catalina. Now, I saw that on your Facebook page, you know, Facebook's yeah. a great source of research. Tell me a bit about that. That's a full-size plane. Yeah. I'm intrigued. I saw lots of photos. What's what's the history of that plane and where's it, where's it hoping to end up? Um, well, it was Rathmines on Lake Macquarie which is very close to where I am, was the biggest seaplane base during World War II, where all the Catalinas, a lot of the Catalinas, there was 140-odd Catalinas based there, <coughs> would fly out up to New Guinea and other places to lay mines and things like that. So the Catalina that we're building, which is called Our Girl, um, is being restored to the, to a level of a Catalina that operated from Rathmines and it will become part of the RAAF historical um, unit at Williamtown uh, eventually. Um, in the meantime, um, the restoration is taking place at Killigan Bay, which is across the water, the bay from Rathmines base. Will it fly? No, no, no. It's being restored to uh, static. Yeah. Might be a bit easier. I am a, I, <laughs> I, I'm an aircraft sheet metal worker, so um, I'm, I'm the restoration coordinator for the aircraft as well now. And how long to go till it's uh, finished? Uh, yeah, well, how long's a piece of string? <laughs> <laughs> going to take a while. Yeah, well, the more you look, the more creation you find, but... Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm at the stage now where the, the, the I've almost, and not by myself, I must say, I've got two ex-military uh, guys. One's a aircraft shooter as well, ex-Army, and the other is an ex-RAF, but he's a airframe guy, which we sheet metal workers never used to let them any near. We were anywhere near a piece of metal. But, <laughs> 
He's doing well. He's doing well. So we're, we're, the fuselage is nearly, well, I'd say, 89% restored. Mm. Um, currently, currently, because the aircraft had been um, put to civilian use, the nose had been changed, the gun turret on the nose had been removed, the blisters, the gun blisters on the the aft end had been removed and replaced with um, cargo base. So the blisters are being redone now, and I'm currently rebuilding the uh, nose and replacing the gun turret on the on the on the bow. I always joke with my wife when she says to me, um, you know, she wants me to fix something around the house, and I always say, "Yeah, I can fix that. I'm an aero modeler." Right? Do you, how much do you think that's played a part in 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 the full size stuff that you've done, having that background in building models? It's got everything to do with it. I wouldn't have been in the aerospace industry without aero modelling. Yeah. The uh, it's it's interesting. Like uh, there are a lot of people that I know personally that have got into you know that aerospace kind of industry as a result of their model flying. And now what we've seen is with the, the growth of drones and even, you know, stuff that the Air Force has been doing with drones, they need someone to test their their, their stuff that knows how to fly model planes, you know. And yeah, we've had a number exactly. of different people that have, you know, Joe Finicchiaro from the VMAA down here, the secretary of the VMAA, used to work um, in the Army flying model aeroplanes that were basically target planes for target practice, you know, for people to just yeah. pot shots it. And so yeah. he, he was building planes and flying planes around, which is just, you know, that's not a bad, bad gig to get if you can get it. Oh, definitely. <laughs> if, if you, especially if you like building planes and flying them. But, um, yeah. And what about your, your powered flight? Are you still doing any powered flight or is it just solely on the glider? No, nah, no, I've, I've um, long since moved on uh, from power flying. I, I mainly, my main interests are uh, PSS and just general sleep flying. Yeah. Well, you don't have to worry about rising fuel costs then. Yeah, I have one power plane, which is a, is electric, which actually bought it for the wife. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And what does she do with it? Uh, nothing. <laughs> <laughs> so in other words, you bought it for yourself. Well, I, I fly it, but um, it's because the I'm the president of Waibung Soaring uh, Club as well, and uh, we do also have a flat field, and that's about the only thing I've got to fly in a flat field apart from a DLG. Yeah, the DLGs are good though. Love a DLG. Yeah, yeah. So I, I do enjoy my DLG. What's on the bucket list as far as uh, models to build? Um, I have a feeling it could be a big bucket or a good big yeah, list. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That, it depends on how much time we got left above the ground. Yeah. <laughs> but um, there's quite a few models. It, it depends on what takes my interest at the time because I've, I've got quite an extensive library um, and I'll, I'll just be looking through something and it'll just take my fancy and... It just goes from there, exactly like the the Fiat did. Hmm. Um, I wasn't really interested in building another World War Two aircraft at that time because I've got a boomerang, I've got a hurricane, and, you know, I've got the Hudson, and 
I saw a picture of the Fiat, the G55, and I just went, oh, that'll make a nice model. And so I got the three view and away I went. So that's virtually how it happens for me. I'll just see a picture of an aircraft and go, I'm going to build that. Okay. I think, I think you know, I don't have that ability. I'd probably botch it and I'd probably get too anxious in, in the process of building it. So I really admire people who've got that ability to look at something and go, oh, I can build that. And then they just go away and do it. But what's the time frame in which you can pump out a model? Um, the third took me know, about a month and a half. Really? So you're moving fast as well. Yeah, well, it, you can go onto RC Groups, as I say, and I've got a number of build threads on there. Um, uh, including the Bearcat, the Fuga, the Hurricane, the whole the whole kit and caboodle. There's always a build thread that I've done on RC groups, and that will show you the complete process from start to finish. A month and a half. Oh, it takes me five years to finish a model, generally. I'm a bit slow at it. Uh, well, never underestimate your capabilities, that's what I say. Well, do you know what? I have always say that I, I know that I could build something, say, from scratch. Well, actually, years ago, I started building something from scratch. And um, and when the wings sat on the fuselage for the first time, I was over the moon that, hey, it actually kind of works. But uh, yeah, but I, I, I it's that lack of confidence. But when I start doing something, I go, oh, yeah, I've got this. Um it's yeah, just the getting exactly. started started bit where I go, oh, you know, it's like the first cut. It's a hard one to do. Oh, now we're into it. Okay, now we'll be all right. And then I was getting to a rhythm and uh, off we go. So, uh, yeah. But, um, yeah. yeah, but I, I don't get the opportunity to do a lot of building at the moment with work and everything like that. But um, it'll come. Are you retired now or are you still working? No, no, I'm retired. The only work I'm doing is on that Catalina and I only do that two days a week. Uh, so you've got... Uh, you live in the dream, as I say. Oh, yes, definitely. Living the dream. <laughs> yeah. Well, Steve, we've come to that final question, the question that everybody wants to know and they can't wait to hear the answer to, and that is, what has been your all-time favourite model? <laughs> yeah. Um, look, I'd have to say at this point in time, from everything that I've built for the slope, it would be my hurricane. It's a hundred and hundred and one inch. And the thing is an absolute dream to fly. Really? That's a big one. The second one, of course, would be my CAC boomerang. Well, there you go. You gave me two. Yeah. Yeah. I said your favorite model, but you've got two, but the, um, but that's a big, big model, a hundred inch for for a slopey and a scale slopey at that. You know, that's how many people to launch that one? Three people on that oh, one? I, no, no, it can be launched by one person. Actually. Oh, really? It's, it's quite light. It only weighs like uh, what is it, nine kilos? But it's a dream to fly. Yeah. Why do you think it's so? It flies so well. <laughs> the design itself just lends itself to be a perfect glider. There's so much wing area, and it's yeah, like it's a rag stringer, a rag bag aircraft. Hmm. It's just stringers wrapped in, in cloth, and um, it's so much wing area. It's just such a powerful, powerful glider. Uh, actually, I'm going backtracking a bit because I just thought of something. That difference between flying, say, a modern day composite model versus, you know, a, a model that's you know, say, thirty years old. 
What's the difference in performance? Obviously, there'd be a, a decent performance difference. Uh, yes, incredible difference. I mean, it's chalk and cheese. The uh, aerodynamics of the, the modern composite aircraft over, the, let's let's say, um, the Ricochet, for instance. I always thought the Ricochet was a, a really quick aeroplane. I thought, wow, this thing is, is just unbelievably fast. And then I saw... Well, one of the aeroplanes that I flew, which was a, a carbon bird from from the Czech Republic, and it it just would blitz, yeah. <laughs> absolutely blitz. I mean, it's it's a uh, hundred mile an hour on the front side going slow, um, and you definitely need flaps to slow it down to land. That, that's that's a fact. But the 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 performance the performance envelope is just staggering from from say Clark Y wing section to an RG fourteen is just unbelievable in difference. Well Steve, you're a bit of a legend really, when you think about it. The man that started the Manila Slope Fest, and it sounds like you've actually been pretty active over the years in in a lot of in, in sort of leading the charge with slope soaring. So uh well done and a big congratulations for all your efforts and uh thank you. Thank you for listening to my ramblings. I'm not ramblings at all. So well done, Steve. Thank you very much. About to leave, already packing. Come with me, I'm not really asking. We'll get away to a place where we don't know. Another episode of the Flat Out RC podcast done and dusted for another week. I hope you enjoyed it. I really do. Uh, because I enjoyed doing them. And I always say, if there's one person that listens, that'd be great, but I do enjoy that once a week when I get to have a chat with someone about aero modelling. And Steve, he was really good. I'd never met Steve before, before I uh, rang him to do the interview. So I uh, get to know different people, which is always fun. So a big thank you to Steve for joining me and for all of you for joining me. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast, no matter where you are. Subscribe to the podcast on whatever um, portal that you're listening to. And whilst you're at it, jump onto our Instagram page and our YouTube channel and our Facebook page. They're probably the main main things. I do have a Twitter page, but I don't really do Twitter that much. It takes a lot of time, people. I could, you could, I could make this a full-time job and make absolutely no money. Uh, so I can't do that. I have to put food in the, in the table for the family. So, But really enjoy doing it. I will be back next week. I do know who we're going to talk to, but you're going to have to sit tight. You'll find out next week when you log on to the Flat Out RC podcast. Thanks once again. I'll talk to you next week. Bonnie and Clyde, a classic cliche. We're on the run. This is what we waited for.